Hello, flamethrowers. Shireen here. Welcome to another week of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. Today on the show, we are doing the Winter Olympics preview. I just want to note, in addition to this, we will accompany this episode with a great interview with Dr. Jules Boykoff. The Winter Olympics, the Parthenon of athletic feats stories of glory, moments of despair and defeat, all amidst a winter wonderland. What encapsulates the human experience more than athletes, coaches, medical staff, thousands of volunteers giving us everything, the vulnerability and the immediate responses of echo and joy all over the world. Also, what of the many people protesting or objecting to the games? They cite the oppression of Uyghurs, human rights abuses, lack of press freedoms, the corruption intertwined with the Olympics, the continued dangers of COVID-19, and the environmental impacts this mega event will have on China and its people. There is so much to reconcile as we balance and accept our contradictions. One loves the purity of sport and parasport and appreciates the theater that this Winter Games will provide. We remain vigilant in interrogating the injustices. We will hold joy and embrace the stories of success and happiness that may come. Let's go forth in solidarity and in sport. Jessica, can you start us off in the first category? Sleds, sleighs, and sleigh. Yes, I can, Shireen. Thank you. Uh, I have the bobsled. Most people know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a sled and you go twists and turns over a lightning fast track. This year in China, the sliding center is the first venue to ever feature a 360 degree turn. And I can't picture that in my mind. Like, does this look like a water slide? Like, how does, what will this actually look like? I'm excited to see. There are going to be four total events, the two-man bobsled, four-man bobsled, two-woman bobsled, and the brand new women's monobob, the first bobsled singles event in Olympic history. The monobob is super interesting because it's just a single athlete. They push off on their own, navigate down the track by themselves. The big rule for the monobob that's different than the two-person and the four-person events is that you have to use an identical sled. You cannot adjust the sled design for aerodynamics, so they're all working off the exact same sled as they do it. And I want to focus quickly on two women, the two women drivers for Team USA, Kaylee Humphreys, who I interviewed for Burn It All Down back in March, and Alana Myers-Taylor, who I talked to for this show back in February of 2020 when she was still pregnant with her son, Nico. They're both four-time Olympians, which is an incredible sentence all by itself. They both will race in the monobob and the two-woman bobsled, and they are the best two like, in the world. Kaylee Humphreys, she's the most decorated woman in bobsled history. If you listen to that interview, you'll know she's Canadian who has since uh, come to America for lots of reasons that I won't get into here. Uh, she's won three Olympic medals, two golds, a bronze. She has 13 world championship medals. She's a four-time world and four-time overall World Cup champion in the two-women's bobsled. And she is the 2021 monobob world champion. Okay, so that's Kaylee. Alana has won silver medals at both the 2014 and 2018 Olympic Winter Games. She's a two-time women's bobsled world and overall World Cup champion. She's won 19 World Cup races as well. And she is now, again, the overall World Cup champion going into the Olympics. After four wins in the monobob this season, she also claimed the women's monobob World Series title. We love our mom athletes on this show. I don't know what the rules are about babies at the Olympics, but I did read on her Team USA page that her dream is to get on the podium and to hold her son Nico in her arms at that time. So we here at Vernal Down will be rooting for Alana. I just want to say, I know that he's there because she noted that she couldn't stay in the village with him, but she's in a hotel with him. Okay, good. Okay, so this could happen. Awesome. So the bobsled will take place from February 11th to February 19th. Brenda, I thought of this for you particularly because skeleton, Halloween, so this sport made sense for you to present to everybody. Thank you. It's also the one I'm least likely to ever practice. Um, <laughs> so the difference between a bobsled and um, skeleton is that in the skeleton, you're head first. 
the worst thing I've ever seen, ever. 80 to 90 miles an hour with your head first. Like, I... It's one of those where you're like, who invented this? Who did this first and then decided to keep doing it? Definitely someone who thought it was going to be like more 5 to 10 miles an hour is my guess. But in any case... Uh, this has traditionally in the men's been dominated by Latvia and uh, particularly Martins Dukers is his name and his brother Tomas is another Olympian. But really Martins Dukers is, is, is a really big deal in this sport. The last three gold medalists in women's skeleton at the Olympics have all represented Great Britain. This year they're taking place from February 10th to February 12th. Um, going into this one, though, Jacqueline Naricott of Australia is the World Cup uh, winner, and she is maybe going to really break up this whole Latvian domination, um, Great Britain domination of the sport. For me, what I was really interested in is the helmets. Because of the nature of this <laughs> yes. sport, they really care about the helmets. And there's a great video over at the Olympics channel and it sort of details how important and personal the helmets are to these athletes. And the skeleton athletes love to show their alter ego, you know, their secondary personality during competition. And, and they do that through their helmet designs. And it can be anything from a superhero movie character, uh, a metaphor, I, mean, I don't know, like a, a patriotic, patriotic symbol, something inspiring and, and, and something sometimes also simply intimidating and fierce. So Ghana's Akwasi Furpong describes his uh, lion eating a rabbit helmet, which I'm really sad about because rabbits are my matronas, but he really feels strongly about this. I definitely think that if you can go 80, 90 miles per hour head first, you're already a superhero. Uh, a little bit of a crazy superhero, obviously, but we always trying to strive for perfection. You know, we are want to make uh, as least a mistake as possible any way that we can find to go faster. He talks about how one woman has her mother on her helmet, and I would just like to say the least um, endearing helmet that I saw was in fact Latvia's Martin Stukers, the most decorated skeletoner, um, which is just all black. It's sort of like the villain that you would expect. So take a look at that if you get a chance. Um, Ghanaian helmets are amazing, but I'm not getting one anyway, no matter how cool. This is terrifying. I think you should have a burn it all down helmet. With flames on it, that would look so good going down the ice. Totally. For a bike, for a tricycle, yes. I did put the burn it all down sticker on my bike helmet, okay. but I'm not going on a skeleton. <laughs> okay, so I have luge. I love this because luge in French actually means small sled. And luge debuted in 1964. Singles are feet first, face up, as opposed to the skeleton head first. So it's exciting and also looks insanely dangerous. Lugers can reach speeds of up to more than 130 kilometers, which is 80 miles. And the track is about, for luge in particular, is about 4.8 kilometers, three miles. And luge, along with the sliding events, are actually being held at the new Yanking National Sliding Center. The temperature of these sliding centers is optimal at minus 8 degrees Celsius. I have no idea what that is in Fahrenheit. I feel like it's like 40, 30. I don't know. Fucking cold it's, is what I hear. <laughs> cold. So that's all I need. For luge, there's four different categories. Men's singles, men's doubles women's singles, and then team relay, which is men and women. The team relay was introduced in Sochi in 2014. So what's really fascinating about the team relay is on the way down, you have to reach up and hit a button in order to open the gate for the next loser. <laughs> what if you don't? The gate doesn't open. It's part of what you have to Holy do. Holy. It's wild. Like trust I, fall. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was unbelievable. I went to YouTube and was watching the races from Pyeongchang. So Germany dominates the sport. And in Pyeongchang, Tobias Wendel and Tobias Artel, who won the second consecutive gold in the men's doubles, and they're known as the Bayern Express which I thought was actually quite funny. And the most decorated woman loser athlete is Natalie Gessenberger of Germany. And she's also in the relay. She will be looking to medal for a third time. And Germany, Austria, Canada, and the U.S. are the top faves. Now, concerns with, with luge. Sled tumbling over is always 
a concern and a problem. Declining <laughs> speed and feet hitting the ice is also a problem. So we're looking for safe and clean runs, Lindsay's face right now. So of course I found luge puns. And the best one I found is even if you win a luge event, you're still a loser. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was too good to pass. That's funny. Next category. Double trouble. Dr. Davis, please start us off. Yeah, I will. So this is the Nordic com- combined, which I have my entire life been calling the Nordic combine. So there you go. You already know something new. Do we? <laughs> um, it's two sports in one, the combination of ski jumping and cross country skiing. Now, it's one of the original sports. It happened back since the inaugural games in 1924. It used to be that they would start with the cross-country skiing, and then at the end of that, you would jump. But people were too tired <laughs> after <laughs> skiing. And so they've now changed it. Um, and so what you do now is you jump first. Some people getting heights as, as many as 400 feet going 60 miles per hour. And then based on how well you score in the jump is where you start for the ski portion. So if you win, if you're the highest scorer for the ski jump portion, you you get to go first. And everybody else is staggered based on their points. So there's a short hill. So they do like a jump off a short hill and then this long race. They do a large hill and they also have a team large hill competition. But I do want you to know that this is the only Olympic event without women in it at all. This has been something that they have been pushing for to add women into uh, the Nordic combined and actually added it at the uh, World Cup level in back two, three years ago with the idea that it would be included in the Olympic Games. And then they decided 18 months ago, oops, never mind. We need more quote unquote development in that area. Um, let me tell you the Women who have been pouring their heart and soul into this are very mad. I just want to read you a quick quote from Anika Malachinsky, who is training in this event. And she was like, I think it's insane. We're living in the 20th century. We're still experiencing inequality, not only in our daily lives, but over a sport we put our souls into. It doesn't feel good at all. As much as I love Nordic Combined, it's absolutely awful having to fight with other girls to get it out into the world. How are we the only Olympic sport that doesn't have both men and women in the games for no reason at all? So if you still want to watch this event and you want to watch the men, uh, Eric Frenzel is the German GOAT, and he is vying to be literally the most decorated and greatest Nordic combined athlete of all time. I myself is am cheering for Akito Watabi, who's like the only non-Nordic player <laughs> in the race. He's Japanese, and he scored silver at the last few world competitions, so like He's getting there. He's very close. We'll see if this is the year. And of course, Jarl Magnus Ribber um, is trying to restore glory for Norway. He was fourth, last off the podium at the last two Olympic and world cycles. And lastly, you should know that Norway invented this and dominated it for much of the 20th century. The German team has swept the medal stand in the last years. This is like a huge rivalry. And so Babyface River, that's what they call him, Jarl is trying to restore Norway's glory by breaking into the medal stand at this game. Damn. Um, just these Norwegian-German rivalries are so fascinating. <laughs> Lindsay. Yeah, so I've got biathlon, which is a sport that is cross-country skiing and rifle shooting. Uh, totally normal things to combine. <laughs> uh, so the shooting portion of the biathlon race is known as a bout. The shooting bout, you are either standing or in the prone position, which prone means on your belly. I actually did not know that. And if you miss a target or targets during a bout, you're penalized by either adding minutes to your time or by having to ski a fucking penalty loop near the exit of the shooting range. This whole thing is just like a torture. Uh, you might be shocked to know that it used to be called military patrol. So, you know, um, we've really got some military origins here. There's an individual event, a relay event, a sprint event, a pursuit event, a mass start event, and a mixed relay 
there's lots of sexism, of course, woven into these, even though there this <laughs> is an event with men's and women's races. Just the women's distances are just arbitrarily shorter than the men's distances for just like, like just so men can be like, we men, we strong, we better, you know? <laughs> so like it's the pursuit race is 12.5 kilometers for men and 10 kilometers for the women. Mass start is 15 kilometers for men. And then 12.5 kilometers for women. So the women can do 12.5 kilometers in the mass start, but in the pursuit, only 10K. It's just so fucking dumb. I'm sorry. But anyways, these biathlon events are going on all throughout the game. Start on the 5th, go through February 19th. This is the lone Winter Olympic sport in which the U.S. has not won any Olympic medals, which is shocking because we love our guns. So I don't understand. I don't really think that's going to end this year. Germany, France, Sweden, Norway, the usuals are supposed to dominate the medals. So for the pursuit race, that happens always after the individual and sprint events. And the starting order for pursuit is based on your times in the individual and sprint events. So I learned that. I'd always wondered what the difference was. Thanks so much for that. I only know about this because Canadian Marion Bedard, she was like a very decorated Olympian. And I just remember the close up on her after she finished the skiing, she would be heaving and then have to lie on her stomach and shoot. It was unbelievable. You could see her whole body like trying to calm itself. I mean, this is not necessarily a sport for people with anxiety. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> Tricks and ups. Jessica Luther. Ski jumping. It's been in the Olympics since 1924. Mira talked about it a little bit before. You know, this, we all know what this is. You speed down the ramp, launch yourself into the air, and then kind of fly <laughs> until you hit the ground. Uh, of course, you're awarded based on how far you jump. And there's a target for landing. And so it's like how you you do better based on how much farther away from that target landing you are. But you also get graded on your style and how you land. There's a five-judge panel. So you want a clean landing with your skis parallel in order to score highly. You're penalized if you turn your skis inward for balance or if you like stack them, which is you sort of go on your side and this one ski is above the other. You can get 60 points. Points are awarded or subtracted based on the gate or wind at the time. So if you have a lot of wind at your back, you know, they take that off so that it's more fair for everybody. Each athlete goes twice, and then they add their two scores together. There you go. Uh, on the men's side, the one to watch is a guy named Kobayashi Ryoyu. He's Japanese. He's sitting atop the World Cup standings right now, and he might have a gigantic Olympics. I do want to mention that the best in the world for the women, Marin Lundy, she's Norwegian. She's not going. She's been the best for the last three years, won gold in South Korea. She says that she's gained weight in the last year or so and doesn't feel like that she can compete. And it's a big deal for her to talk about this publicly because this sport in particular has a horrible history of uh, eating disorders among athletes because you need to be as light as possible. So people go to extreme measures. So to have the very best woman in the world talk about this publicly has been a big moment in this sport. Like for ski jumping, it's like on the level of Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka. So we will be missing Marin Lundy, but you know, credit to her for having this conversation. I do want to say that our Lindsay talked to Lindsay Van back in episode 41. She's an American ski jumper. Uh, that's from February 2018. So if you want to know more about women and ski jumping, please go listen to that. I do want to say this year, women get a second event. So they were only one before and the men had three. Now they have a mixed team event. So women get to compete in this. It'll be on the normal hill, though, of course, and not on the large hill because the women aren't allowed to be on the large hill. Four athletes will be on each team. They have to jump in a specific order with the female athlete going first and third, male athletes going second and fourth. They'll add them all together. Ski jumping begins on February 5th with the men's normal hill and ends on February 14th with the men's team competition. The women's final is February 5th, and the mixed team final is February 7th. Bren, you're next with snowboarding yeah this is a weird one for me because I don't care about snowboarding I never want to go I keep getting ones that I like don't have any a passing interest and that's why this show is so great because then I get into it and then I care and then I'm like wait a minute I'm gonna watch this um so basically snowboarding has been dominated by the U.S. in both men's and women's categories but there's others 
um, coming up in the men's, uh, the Japanese and Swiss, and in the women, there's been uh, important strides by Australians and Germans. So we may not only have a U.S. show this time around. So there's several events. One is called the Parallel. It's a very, very long hill that they go as fast as they can on that one snowboard ski thing that they have. There are two identical tracks and they have about 25 turns. So the idea is, you'll see them, it was pretty fascinating, get as close with their body to the ground as possible. So when they tilt, they like put their body weight on the other side and they get, you know, within centimeters of touching the ground, which is which is very impressive um, when you're watching it. There's also big air. This is new to the Olympics. Um, and Beijing has the only permanent track for it. It's a judged sport. It is considered, and this is just hilarious because like, how is this not every single one? It is called by the Olympic Committee, a very high risk injury sport. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What? Oh no. Well, you know the bar for that must be fucking high as hell. No kidding. So you're going on this like giant thing and then you catapult in the air and it's like originality and the air you get and the tricks you do. So it's a judge sport. Then you land, I don't know how, hopefully on the ski thing. It snowboard thing. It's it's wild. It's beautiful. It's really impressive. Um, you've got the half pipe, the two big personalities from the US, Sean White pursuing his fourth gold medal, and Chloe Kim will be back looking for hers. Um, but look out for 15-year-old Sonora Alba to debut in this event this time around. I have a 15-year-old and I can't get her out of bed. So <laughs> I don't understand who this Sunny Alba is, but I plan on showing her to my teenager and be like, what's wrong with you? You know, I mean, look, she's out there. Um, she brushed her teeth this morning. I like how the Olympics have just become our like parent shaming. This is like us in uh, skateboarding in the summer games. We're like, look, they're thirteen. You're like behind schedule. Exactly. Anything. That's how desperate. That's how desperate one can get. Okay, snowboard cross has um, a new mixed team event. Uh, it's a mixed gender event. Also an individual. It starts on February twelfth. It is called Border Cross, not Snowboard Cross, by those who know, meaning the founders of the game who rejected the International Ski Federation as their governing body, trademarked the term. So you will hear athletes say Border Cross instead of Snowboard Crosser, which you're welcome. Um, That's going to get you into all the cool parties there. And finally, (laughs) Slope Style, which is Tricks Plus Obstacle Course. Um, that just seems like you just threw in the kitchen sink, just everything. Can you do everything on a snowboard? The veteran and dominant force is Jamie Anderson from the U.S. She's won the last two golds in the event. For right now, the one that's dominated is Red Gerard, also from the U.S. He is famous for having won as a very youngster in 2018, um, in which he bragged about being hungover and watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, whatever. And so his love of Netflix and partying is um, pretty much in keeping with my image of the sport. But um, good luck, all you snow crosser boarders, <laughs> Lindsay. All right, so I have freestyle skiing, which is very similar to the snowboarding events, except skis, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's important. I'm just going to go over, though, these six events because I know uh, Brenda just went over them in snowboarding, but there are little differences. And these are all the descriptions from the New York Times, and I liked them because they helped me remember what events were which. So in freestyle skiing, you've got uh, the moguls. And in moguls, they ski over a bumpy course and are judged on turns, jumps, and speed. Aerials is the new for skiing. This is a brand new event. Sounds like it's similar to like the big air, but it's skiers launch themselves off a ramp and perform flips and spins. You've got ski cross in which they race against one another in groups of four. That's one of my favorite events every time. Mm -hmm. Slope style Mm -hmm. where they ski down the course with rails and jumps. And then, of course, half pipe where they perform in a U-shaped bowl. I wanted to kind of talk about an athlete that you're going to hear a 
whole, whole, whole lot about in Beijing. This is Eileen Gu, who is China's most promising medal hope by far. She was the only Chinese prominent athlete to compete in the 2020-2021 World Cup season in any winter sport. She's going to compete in three freestyle events in Beijing, big air, half pipe, and slow style. She's secured a World Cup victory in 2021 in all three disciplines, so definitely a medal favorite. And then she's 18 years old. She's born in San Francisco to an American father and a Chinese mother, goes to Stanford, speaks fluent Mandarin, started to represent China in 2019. She's literally a model. I mean, she's just like catnip to uh, media. So we're very familiar with her. She seems to be handling the pressure pretty well. On China's TikTok, there was a viral video uh, after she lost at the X Games being like Chinese fans. Let's not put too much pressure on Gu. And... Eileen responded directly to that with crying faces being like, why don't you just have more faith in me? <laughs> so she's uh, she's ready to go. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next category is sticks and stones. Uh, I'm going to go first with curling. And you all know I low-key, low key. very, very subtle about my love for curling. You have no subtle in you at all, Shrink. <laughs> um, so curling, and I didn't know this, the International Olympic Committee first granted medal status to men and women's curling. So it was introduced to the Olympics at Nagano in 1998. And this is one of the first and only sports where men and women came into the Olympics at the same time, because traditionally we always see men's events go first and then women catch up. Um, curling for me is one of the best sports of the winter games. And things you need to know about curling, sweeping is essential. And according to the World Curling Federation, good sweeping can allow a stone to travel two or three meters, almost six and a half to 10 feet further than if not swept. Sweeping is essential, people. The skip is the captain who throws the stones. That's when they glide and the stones are like the big rocks and guides the sweepers. So each team has four players except for mixed doubles, which is one man and one woman. Um, now, there's rounds and those rounds are called ends. Like we would know them as rounds, but they're actually called ends. So the teams alternate throwing the stones and the objective is to get your stone as close to the center as possible while knocking the other team's stones out from the sheet. It's riveting to watch. It's literally routine. So gold medalist from Pyeongchang men's were the United States. For women, it was Sweden and the mixed double champions were Canada. And the reason we talk about this is there are the Briar Cup and there are the Scotties, which are the, essentially the biggest tournaments, but everything was up in air because of COVID. And so they literally were competing very recently to qualify for the Olympics. I'm very excited for all of it and you will be kept abreast with all the important information. Next, Amira, cross-country skiing. Yeah, cross-country skiing is one of those things that confounds me because when I think of cross-country skiing, I think of like you're alone in the woods with your skis, you're going slowly, you're moving straight. But actually, cross-country skiing has some of the most exciting finishes in the Winter Olympics. Like wild finish as everybody's kind of skating alongside each other to the end. And if you liked the collapse and like 
chaos at the end of the men's triathlon at the summer games, then this is your sport because they all just fall over the line because it's so hard. So there's other things about the sport that I want to draw your attention to because I think even their rules are like a little bit chaotic. Um, And that's because there's actually two styles of cross-country skiing. Um, Your first style is called your classic style. This is the easiest to learn. If you've ever tried it, this is usually what you're doing. It's like you're walking in skis. Your both feet are in the little lines and you're just chilling on the skis and moving forward. The other more modern style is called skate style. It became popularized in the 80s, and this is more in line with ice skating. And so you're pushing off with one ski, but it allows you to get faster and it allows you to build up momentum. Um, It also takes a lot of core, a lot of core strength, um, and is seen particularly as harder to do. Now, could cross-country skiing just be like chill and be like, okay, do whatever style? Absolutely not. They actually rotate what styles they use at major competitions. So at world finals, certain events would be skated in one style and they flip for the Olympics. So actually to be at the top level of the sport, you have to be good at both, especially if you're doing the skiathlon where you literally do one lap in the classic style, change your skis, change on the fly into the different skis and poles and do the second lap in skating style. Absolute chaos. As Lindsay mentioned before, the women just arbitrarily have smaller meters events here. Um, and so there's five. So like I mentioned, the skiathlon, women do 15 kilometers and the, the men do 30. Um, they have a sprint. Um, they actually both do 1.5 kilometers for this. Um, and then an individual event, 10 kilometers for the women, 15 for the men. Um, and then they have a relay. And then the real mayhem is the mass start event. Now, I do want to note the Norwegians have absolutely dominated in this event, but they also are experiencing a massive COVID outbreak. Two of their cross-country skiers, including their star Heidi Wang, tested positive and they're now isolating in Italy. Now, they were isolation would be up February 3rd. They can still fly to Beijing and get there before competition starts on February 5th. That is the hope anyways. They're crossing their fingers. Two days later, however... The male skier, Simon Kruger, who is the defending champion, also tested positive. Because it was two days later, it puts his quarantine up on the 5th, leaving it virtually uncertain for him to make the event in time to compete. This is like the amazing race. (laughs) They're going to rush to Beijing now. I mean, this is like pandemic games for you. Their team doctor... And their team coach gave a press conference and the coach was like, none of this is fun anymore. It's over. Right. And they also don't know who next on the team could get it because all of their roommates are now also in isolation. And so the top competitors from the Norway team, which basically were on the medal stand on every all five events, everything about them is in doubt. So we're definitely going to see a shakeup. I'll leave you with um, a story to watch on the on the USA side. Uh, you might remember Jesse Diggins, who along um, with her teammate Keegan Randall in Pyeongchang ended a multi-decade drought of the United States in this competition. And you might remember it because the call on it by Chad Samella was one of the best calls you could ever imagine. As she rounded the corner and came from behind on the last hill climb, he started screaming, here comes Diggins! Here comes, like lost his voice on air. Here comes Diggins! Here comes Diggins! Diggins making the play around Sweden! Jesse Diggins to the line! Yes! And it is Jesse Diggins delivering a line! She is returning um, along with brother and sister pair, the Pattersons, Um, and everybody else though on the team is brand new. So that we have 10 newcomers on the men and women's side to cross country skiing, and we will see what they can do in a topsy turvy year. Jessica, can you take us and calm us down with Alpine skiing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Obviously. Uh, we all know this, this is skiing down a hill. (laughs) It's been in the Olympics since 1936. We're talking about races where people are winning by tenths of a second, You'll see the skiers navigate colored gates spread across the mountain slope and they're like zigzagging back and forth, but they get so fast on these skis. They're going about 150 kilometers per hour. They can get up to that. That's around 93 miles per hour that they're flying down these mountains. 
It's the fastest. I did learn that skiing is the fastest non-motorized form of transport. And I just want to tell you that the men's speed skiing world record is 157 miles per hour. Isn't that wild? (laughs) Not in the Olympics. You won't see this in the Olympics, but I just need you to know that number. Okay. So there's six events. There's just straight up downhill. You're going as fast as you can into speed event. The slalom, which is more of a technical event. This is the one with the gates and the really sharp turns. It's the shortest course for the downhill skiing. You know, you miss a gate, they add time to your overall time. And so it's still the fastest down, but you do have to hit the gates. The giant slalom is also technical. The gates though are a little farther apart. So it's more like, you know, it looks prettier. It's not quite as, you know, they're not hitting the corners as hard. And then you have the super G, which is the super giant slalom, but it's mainly a speed event. They have the same technical thing, but it's not as steep as the downhill, but the gates are closer together than the downhill. But this is the wild thing about the super G. You get one shot and you do not get a warm up. This is special to this event. You get 90 minutes to walk the course with your coach, analyze it, and then boom, you go down that hill and that's it. One time. You also have the combined, which is one run of the downhill, one of a slalom. Combine those together. Winner is the fastest of the with the combined time. And then they will have the mixed team parallel slalom. I remember this from last time. It is so much fun. So you have 16 best teams in alpine skiing. They're seated in a single elimination bracket. So we got a bracket, which, you know, we love in sports. There's a round of 16 quarterfinal, semifinal, final. From Olympics.com, I'm just going to quote this to you. This is what they do. Each team may include up to six skiers. And during every round, four skiers from each country, two men, two women, take on four skiers from another country. As with other parallel slalom competitions, two opponents ski at the same time on two identical courses, which sit side by side on the slope. The victor of each race wins one point for their team. If both skiers fall or miss a gate, the skier who progressed the farthest wins the point. The country with the most points after four races wins. If the score is 2-2, then it's the team with the best aggregate time. I mean, it's what we want in sport. They're like literally next to each other, going down, uh, trying to be the fastest. Okay, all eyes easily on two-time Olympic gold medalist Michaela Schifrin. She's going to be the endless talk of alpine skiing this year. She competed in 2014, 2018. This year, she's going to compete in five of the six events. Slalom, giant slalom, super G, downhill, and combined. If she gets on the podium for three, she'll then tie the record for most Olympic medals won by any female alpine skier ever. Obviously, if she gets four, she will take over that record. She claimed her 47th World Cup women's slalom victory this month, breaking the record for most race wins in a single discipline. She is just like a phenomenal, a phenomenal skier. It'll be really exciting to see if she can break these records. They start the men's downhill on February 2nd. They will be skiing all the way until February 18th. And that is when we will see that fun team parallel slalom. Next category, we move on to... Brenda. Okay, so I have short track speed skating, which is... There's black people in this event. (laughs) I know. There is. There are. I mean, like, this and bobsledding is all we got, okay? So... Well, skeleton. Yes. Skeleton. The sleds, all of them. Um... It's actually really fun to watch. It's very jostly. But there are 10 events, and it is, again, a gender difference that is really stupid and arbitrary that the relay for men is 5,000 meters and the relay for women is 3,000 meters. Just shrug those shoulders. No idea why. Um, These events have traditionally been dominated by South Korea, by China, um, Canada has a good number of medals. It's, it's you know, very cold country place. There's U.S., Russia, throw Italy in there, I, I guess. Um, but for the most part, we see South Korea and China, Canada really, you know, at the top of, of all of the predictions. I want to talk about just one thing, though, and not about anything else, which is that Shim Suki who is the two-time gold medalist, won't be there. Even though she's 24, she had joined the national team at 15 in South Korea. 
She was a record holder for 10 years, is still the record holder in the 1,000 meter. And in 2019, after Pyeongchang, she came forward with one of the most horrific cases of sexual emotional assault by the national team coach that I have ever heard. And it is just harrowing. It was considered very important in the Me Too movement in South Korea. Mm -hmm. Just like two months ago, she was banned by the South Korean Federation for um, disgraceful conduct because text messages where she made fun of her teammates in a personal chat between her and another friend from four years ago were leaked. It's so fucked up. It's so incredibly fucked up that I just want to root for everybody else. Um, her fellow athletes have not um, spoken out in solidarity. You can see the kind of federation they have. I don't know that I would expect them to. Um, but yeah, so we won't see the best in the world um, at these Olympics. And her ban is so obviously retribution. Lindsay, speed skating. That is infuriating, Brenda. Um, I'm kind of shaking after hearing that. So speed skating is obviously in the same family, but it's not on the short track. It's on the longer oval. You go two at a time for all events except for the mass start where, well, that's (laughs) (laughs) self-explanatory. We don't need to. But it's it's a lot more like um, the track than like a a free-for-all in short track. This has been the most successful U.S. winter sport in history, but since 2010, it's been pretty much a drought, and um, there's been a lot of allegations of mismanagement and abuse and um, just terrible planning. Just the skaters in the U.S. have not felt taken care of um, in speed skating, but it looks like things are back on track. I don't know if you'll remember the 2014 games with the drama with the suits, whether or not like the suits weren't as like good as they were supposed to be. And then they hadn't trained in the right conditions at training camp. Anyways, I was writing about the Winter Olympics for Bleacher Report at the time. So I got all into that. But anyways, there are three really big medal hopes for the United States. Brittany Bow ranked number one in the world in the 1000 meter the gold medal favorite, and she really needs an Olympic singles medal to cap her legendary career. Uh, Joey Mantia is the number one in the world in the 1500 meter um, and also a three-time world champion in mass start. And then Erin Jackson, former Burn It All Down guest. She is the number one ranked um, skater in 500 meters. Um, She's had such a successful four years after just switching from inline to speed skating on ice soon before the Pyeongchang Olympics. Um, She's now the favorite, but she stumbled in qualifiers at the U.S. Olympic trials, and it ended up being that um, she didn't qualify for the team. She finished behind Brittany Bow and another um, athlete, but Brittany Bow gave up her position in the 500 meters to Aaron Jackson because Aaron Jackson is that big of a medal favorite. But because good things happen to good people, because of how the quotas worked out, Brittany Bow now actually gets to skate in the 500 meters as well. So that's good news. We'll be cheering them on. One other person I wanted to note, at 49, Claudia Pechstein of Germany will be the oldest woman to compete at the Winter Olympics and the second athlete and only woman to compete in eight. She qualified in the mass start. So we'll be rooting her on because that's that's incredible. (laughs) Just want to start by saying ice hockey. We've had a lot of Americana on this episode because, I'll, you know, understandably, four of my co-hosts, beloved co-hosts, are American. Let's shine, folks. Ice hockey. The USA versus Canada is arguably arguably the most hype rivalry in women's sports. Well, who technically starts before the Olympics with games commencing on the 3rd. While Canada are the current reigning world champions, the USA are the gold medalists from Pyeongchang. They beat Canada in an absolutely heartbreaking, devastating win. Thrilling. Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I I wrote my own script, obviously. Finland won the bronze. But just wanted to include that I had the pleasure of interviewing Monique and Jocelyn Lamoureux on March 4th, 2021. That dropped. And uh, they're the American legends who retired soon after. But just want to say this. There's only two groups in ice hockey. It's going to be a really 
intense, wonderful competition. Group A is USA, Canada, Finland, the Russian Olympic Committee, Switzerland. Group B, Japan, Czech Republic, Sweden, Denmark, and China. Now, some of you all are like, China? China actually has a pretty burgeoning women's hockey league that was you know, expanded an off-season from the CWHL. We had players playing over there. I think it's also important to talk about how, you know, very recently, and a lot of people didn't know this, Canada did beat the United States off the stick of Marie-Philippe Poulain in overtime to win us the world championship. And I will just keep repeating this because right now I have the mic anyway. So men's, let's move on to men's. I mean, honestly, men's hockey, I, you know, there's so much going on there all the time. But in Pyeongchang, I will say the Olympic athletes from Russia won gold against Germany in OT and Canada won bronze. So both gold medals from Pyeongchang were in OT. Um, the NHLers are not going to the Olympics this year in what was essentially a controversial decision and boiled down to which sports mafia was protecting their money the most. And the NHL won there. So for the men, Group A is Canada, US, Germany, and China. So now China are the least likely to be decimated because the NHLers are not actually going. Group B, Russian Olympic Committee, Czech Republic, Switzerland, Denmark. Group C is Finland, Sweden, Slovakia, and Latvia. Of course, top contenders are always Russia, US, Canada, Sweden. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for all the hockey. And you will hear and see me commenting in CBC Studios over the Olympics. So look for that. And to bring us home, Dr. Amir Rose Davis and the figure skating. Yeah, figure skating is obviously one of the most watched and beloved um, events at the Winter Olympics. Um, And it consists of the women's skating program, both long and short form, as well as the men's ice dance, pair skating, and now the team event. Now, the team event is uh, one of the efforts to bring gender parity into the Olympics. Um, And so it features basically a selection of a man, a woman, and a partner. And they do a short program and it's like all wrapped up together. And then they get to do a longer free skate program. The top teams move on. Um, A lot of what I have my eye on is what we could see historically go down in terms of actual tricks and jumps thrown in competition. On the men's side, of course, um, you have two-time reigning Olympic champion Yuzuru Hanu from Japan, who is attempting to be a three-time Olympic champion and one of the best figure skaters ever. Um, He is also vying to land a quad axle that is four and a half revolutions in midair and then landing. He has attempted this before, um, but he fell on the landing. So it was downgraded to a triple axle. So this is why it's so important. If you don't stick the landing, they will undercut your rotations, which is why it's so hard to fully land a quad axle because you actually have to stick it. Um, He has a rivalry going on with American Nathan Chen, who didn't have a great trials, who fell and still won handedly. He is like (laughs) really the only gold medalist option (laughs) on the United States of America side. Um, And he, of course, had a disappointing finish in Pyeongchang. And so a lot of eyes will be on the two of them. Um, The other fun thing, of course, about um, Yuzuru is that the things thrown on the arena after he skates are like huge Winnie the Pooh dolls, the Japanese version of Winnie the Pooh dolls. And the IOC, because they're uh, none, no fun losers, won't allow <laughs> for him to bring his like big character doll and like put it with him in his like skate corner. But a lot of people are still sneaking in these Winnie the Pooh dolls to throw after his program. And hopefully he lands that quad axle and then we can just have a rain of Winnie the Poohs in celebration. Um, But on the women's side, probably we're going to see the first official quad jump, which is four rotations. It has been attempted uh, twice before. And I know that we all think about Soraya Benali um, for her backflip, but actually the trick that she spent a lot of her career working towards was this quad jump. And she's actually said she thought that was much more difficult than flipping backwards and landing in a skate. Um, She gave some quotes this month, which she was very excited to see that some people were going to be attempting this. She said, it's good that finally after 30 years, somebody says we need to step it up and upgrade. You can't just keep doing triples (laughs) in the same jump over for the rest of eternity. She was like, I was really ahead of my time. Triple, I could do that with my eyes closed. Um, And so... 
you have had uh, people like Miki Ando from Japan um, attempt it, but she fell, so it was graded down to a triple. And men are allowed to do them in program, but the women, one of the reasons we haven't seen it attempted so much is because it's outlawed from their, their short skate program. They only can do it in the free skate but there are two, maybe three Russian skaters who all could attempt to throw this quad. Something that you'll notice, this question about age, we know figure skating, like gymnastics is one of those sports that skews really, really young. Um, Whether we're talking about like Tara Lipinski when she was 15 and stuff like that. But even now you have teenagers represented everywhere. In fact, the United States team is actually much older than most of the field. Mariah Bell uh, is now officially the oldest American figure skater to go to the Olympics. How old is she? You might ask. That would be the very old age of 25. 22-year-old Karen Chen joins her both of them are older than every gold medalist ever <laughs> since 1932 and there's only one person before 1932 and in, in in that vein um the people all vying for medals are really coming out of japan and russia and they're all 15 16 17 um we have had some covid pullouts um on the men's side in the russian federation something to keep our eye on actually i read one report that was like, the Americans don't really stand statistically to be able to meddle in damn near anything if you're not Nathan Chen, except COVID is the variable here. So maybe they will actually make the medal stand if enough people get sick, which is like not the best take, but also I think points to how far ahead of the field a lot of the Russian um, and and Japanese pair skaters are. Um, and so if you want to watch people just push athletic <laughs> ability to the max and uh, to do so in sparkles with music, then, then figure skating, of course, remains the event for you. And I, of course, will be watching for Winnie the Pooh rainstorms um, to see if uh, Hanu can pull it off. Thank you for that. I just also wanted to mention on the figure skating, I spoke with Asher Hill last month for an interview and burn it all down. So, and he shed light onto what would happen at the Olympics. Just want to point back to that. What we're watching this week, we are watching the opening ceremonies that are on Friday, February 4th, although curling starts tomorrow, February 2nd, and of course the women's hockey games on February 3rd. Freestyle skiing as well starts through, say, February 3rd. Also watching the Women's Asian Cup in India, which is totally hype, and the semifinals are on February 3rd and the finals on February 6th. We're also watching the Africa Cup of Nations, AFCON. The final is Sunday, February 6th. We also have a really fun quiz. Which AFCON team should you root for? The quiz can be found on our social medias. It's been posted to Instagram and been tweeted out. Some of the teams may be up by the time you take this, but it's still fun to do anyway. That is it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This special episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. And Burn It All Down is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and tune in. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to our patrons. Your support means the world. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, visit patreon.com slash burnitalldown. Burn on and not out, and keep warm.